You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So we're going to bring it back. This summer we went through the Psalms. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 77. It's a little bit of an obscure psalm, I would say. Um, it's, it's a psalm of lament. And if you don't have a Bible, um, the ushers are going to walk forward. These guys are going to walk to the front. And don't be shy. We're going to be in God's Word. So if you don't have God's Word, please raise your hand. Um, these guys up front will get you a Bible. So we're in, we're in the Psalms, right? You thought you were coming to Judges. You thought we were going to be uh, back in there. But this summer, uh, we called it the Songs of the Summer. And we went through Psalms all summer. And that actually guided my prayer life and my reading life right here where you guys are about to, to share with me. And that the Psalms are really uh, what we think is like the songs of what David and some of these writers um, had considered in their worship. This is actually what they sang. Like, Come Thou Fount, Man of Sorrows, all these good songs. The Psalms is actually more of an expression of who they were to God and, and how they did that. And so it's an interesting perspective to look at this. It also teaches us how to pray. And in this passage, this is exactly what we're going to learn. The Lord's Prayer, as Jesus did it, taught us what to pray. Right? Jesus, how do we pray in your name? What do we, what do, we do? And then we have all know that, like, Lord, or... or um, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what to pray. But what we find in the Psalms, and as you read through this, you're going to notice this is how we are to pray. This is the heart and the posture that we're supposed to come to as we pray. And so, guys, we're going to transition from the songs of the summer to the prayers of the fall. And this morning, I want to challenge your beliefs. And as that seems a bit aggressive, I think it may be the most important question you could ask yourself is why are you here? No, for real, like, why are you here? What brought you to this place? Like, what, what in the world or out of this world would call you to get up on a weekend, get up semi-early, semi-organized, looking all right, and sit under someone's teaching or sing songs out loud? We talk about this, like, singing songs is not normal out loud together except like a soccer game. Yet, we do it every single week. Why? Why am I here right now? And what I want to challenge today is that it's easy to come here and look the part. It's really, really easy. We live in the Midwest, guys. It's a religious culture. So we were, a lot of us, many of us, if there was a hand raise, it would probably be the majority of us have been exposed to Christianity pre-adulthood, right? We, we are raised in the church, and belief is somewhat assumed in our lives. But what happens is, when belief is assumed, everything else seems to take precedent. And you, know, you just got that. I actually believe um, that because I went to church, right? I was a Lutheran or a Baptist, without actually considering, um, am I right with the Lord? Am I actually, do I know the Lord? Do I sing his praises for a reason, or am I just babbling? And so, feel great. Um, feel great that God is present and he's loved. Uh, but sometimes that's not the case, right? Sometimes we don't believe. And so that's actually been true for me, and as the psalmist is going to, as we're going to read through piece by piece, 
sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we just don't believe. That's just not something that is true of us. And we, we again, we come here, and I'm going to challenge that. Like, we come here, and it's easy to just look fine, but sometimes you don't got it. You just, some days you're just not having a day. Sometimes God isn't actually real in your heart, or maybe in your mind, you don't actually believe he's real at all. And where do you go with that? Because it's not really normal in a church to come to church and say, hey, how are you? I'm a mess. I don't think this is real. Like, if, if someone says that to you this morning, praise God that they're being honest. But let's be honest, even the psalmist in the Bible deals with disbelief and doubt. And so where do you go? How do we express that? What are we going to do to, to explain to God or our disbelief in that? How do we do that? And Psalm 77 does a really, really good job of mapping that out for us. And so I'm going to invite you into doubt. Um, I'm going to invite you into what the psalmist is doing, which is a bit of disbelief. And so if you'll read with me, Psalm 77. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. Okay. We're going to go through piece by piece as we go. I cry aloud to the Lord, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And so what you see here now is the psalmist is now giving us just a picture of what's honestly going on in his heart, and it's panic, right? My, my heart, my spirit moans, my heart faints. I'm moaning and I'm groaning. Anxiety, despair, depression. Have you ever felt these in your life? Apparently, what the psalmist has for us is that these emotions, grief, anger, angst, tense disbelief and understanding are actual biblical emotions. The Bible never says, cursed are those who feel helpless and grieving. Cursed be you who does not have it all together. Right? It's, it's clearly not the emotions that are defining it, what's right and wrong, but it's rather how he approaches and where he goes with those emotions that is actually defining this. And so, notice, he cries aloud to God, right? He's in anguish. He can't even hold it in. He's like, God, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a wreck right now. And he verbally out loud is crying to him. And he gives it straight to him. God can handle it. God can handle the doubt. God can handle your emotions. He already knows them. And so crying aloud to him is not this admittance of failure that is kind of already there, um, but it's more a posture that he takes to say, I don't have this together. You're going to have to do something or this is all for naught. And so here's another twist. He gives it straight to him, but he doesn't really believe in him. Or he doesn't really want to be transformed by this. And so he says, here's a twist. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted. In other translations, um, that's I refuse. So I refuse to be comforted. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. He will hear me in the day of trouble. I seek the Lord, but I refuse to be comforted. <laughs> He's not going to be comforted. And at times, I think this is a very common thing. There's this conflict within us that, frankly, 
it sometimes feels all right to be the victim. Sometimes it feels all right to be in that position where we don't really want things God's way. We don't want to actually go to God because, frankly, we want what we want. It's a phrase. It's not in here. It's get what you get and don't throw a fit. But, frankly, in this, in this passage, when he's refusing to be comforted, there's a distrust that he actually will. There's a conflict within him. So verse 4 to 6, let's keep going. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. So he remembers the tales of God. He's talking about here is, I remember, I consider the days of old. He's talking about Moses and Joshua and David, right? So like, I remember when you parted the Red Seas, right? I remember you, you plagued Egypt and an entire nation was moved out of another one through a sea that you split, all right? And I know that these are true tales. I know that the story of Joshua, and these are highly religious people. This is Asaph. He's actually one of the lead musicians. So he was probably some of the, some of the most impactful songs that they were singing at that time was written by this guy. And so he was, a, he was a psalmist of David as well. And so he knows these stories. He's like, I know the story of when Joshua, when you brought everybody together and you played trumpets and the walls fell down, all right? That's, you're, you're powerful, God. I know you're here. And David, I know there was a little boy with a rock and a sling and you threw, he's reflecting on these stories of old. He's reflecting on what God has done, but it's causing him anguish reflecting on the good old days is not helping him in this situation because it's not happening to him. It's not happening to me. All right, this guy can take down Goliath. This guy can take down walls with trumpets. And this guy can part the Red Sea with a staff. Where are you when I need you? You must hate me. You must dislike me. You must dislove me. This must not be something that's real. And how at times he calls back to a time when the worship was better. The worship was much more powerful for him. He's calling back, let me remember my song, meditate in my heart, that, that time that was great and good, and I was meditating, I was singing to you. He's calling back to what we consider the good old days. And frankly, it's a very conservative standpoint, the phrase, the good old days. It's, it's a callback to when things are better, right? And it's actually a hopelessness for the future. And for those of us in this room, as, as we as a church interact with one another, um, when we interact with each other in real life, whatever those events for for you, the good old days, although they're very fond and, and I had some great times, um, it's not reflecting on ages past, on when we were happy that gives us hope for the future. It's actually looking ahead to our eternal future that gives us hope. And so since we know that eternity is real and we read God's word and we see evidences of grace and power in eternity, we know that the best days are just ahead. They're always ahead. It doesn't matter how good today is. It doesn't matter how good today was or yesterday was. The best days are always yet to come because on this earth, we're only going to have a sliver of what's good. And so let's be the people as a church that are not constantly stuck in the good old days. And it's happened even in this church. There was a phase when it was a small church plant, all right? And everybody knew each other. Then there's a phase when we moved out of elementary school and had to stop setting up. 
and we got here, and then we're a big building. And now look, this is filling up. And now this, in fact, will probably be the good old days because we know God keeps doing new things. But let's not let each other look to the past for our hope. Let's not let this church become a people that are just wishing things would be like they used to be. Because frankly, that's what we see right now. We're seeing in a culture, and, and frankly, it's causing him pain. The psalmist knows things were better. So as Christians, we don't look to the past for comfort. We look to the future. It's not to the case for this guy. Look into the past. I'm going straight for it. Look into the past. And things just get worse for him. They just get worse. He's reflecting, and he's reminiscing on this stuff, and it just turns into a spiral. Read with me verse 7 through 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Like, this is a downward spiral of doubt, right? He doesn't feel God's presence. He says, where are you? Are you even real up there? I feel nothing right now. And he's like, was any of this real? Is this going to be real forever? Is the future going to suck? Is God going to be hating for me forever? Is this going to be the truth forever? All right, and he's... He's a religious dude. He knows the correct answer, right? The dude's been to Sunday school, right? He knows the songs. He knows all the answers, and yet he still doubts. This is one of the lead dudes still doubting, never fully having a grip of who God is, and it's a downward spiral for him. He's in, this, is the, this is the peak. This is, the, this is rock bottom for this guy. As he experienced anguish, and as he looked at how God's working in everybody else's life, but not in his, he then doubted God's very existence, or very presence, or very promises, and wondered, is this even real? Is this ever going to be real for me? And if we're honest, for some of us, this is reality. This position of doubt, and the lack of God's presence, has us very, very consciously doubting his presence. And maybe some of you are in this room are there. And maybe it takes somebody just calling it out to say, I've been there too. Consciously doubting, is that, are you real? And disbelieving in that. And so some of you, you've been here, or you've been to this church, you've been raised in a church, you sing the songs, but you maybe consciously don't have it because there's some intellectual questions maybe. Maybe there's some intellectual things that need to happen. You're just like, I just got these questions and then I'll dive in. And so I had been there um, in my collegiate life. It was marked by doubt and disbelief. And so what I can tell you, like just from my own heart, that the intellectual questions for me, I, I like to nerd out on things. And so it was actually fun and exciting to like find reason and read different philosophies and find that. But if you've got intellectual questions, I'm glad you're here. I want to answer those questions. I want all of us to address the mind. And so it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, spirit, your mind, right? So we want things to be clear. I want you to ask those questions. Um, but I just know from my own experience, there's something deeper. I know that in your head, it may seem like things are right here, 
But what's likely true of you is that something has happened and you feel very, very hurt. And your disbelief and your deep doubts, although we can resolve intellectual to the best of God's ability, there's a transformation that needs to happen or maybe just a confession of things that you really feel. And maybe for you, maybe doubt for you and releasing yourself of that doubt is just going to that place you don't want to go emotionally and addressing the things that have happened that maybe led you astray to believe the things that you now don't think you believe. And so if, if that's true of you, again, I'm glad you're here. We can continue. There's all sorts of resources for intellectual doubts, but I just know that if the psalmist is preaching and writing, it's not, it's not a theological manifesto that we are to pray and that his disbelief takes form. It's not in an essay. It's in a cry aloud to God. So for some of you, um, this may be lingering disbelief. Maybe, may, okay, so maybe it's like resolved, but there's this lingering disbelief that maybe you don't actually recognize. This is, this is actually true for me. I want to repent to you guys right now that in my adult lifetime, I've had the privilege, and even since college on up, of leading people. And what I get to tell you is in those positions, it's really easy to be very, very active and really, 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 really uncertain. And so sometimes you don't even recognize it until you're up against the wall and your true beliefs come out. And so if you're like me, leading, standing up here and preaching, it's easy, very, very easy for me to seem like I've got it all figured out. And we walk through this this summer as leaders, but what's actually happening is actually going to come out in leadership. And I've struggled with this personally for the past, well, forever. <laughs> forever. It's hard for me to open up. But really in the past year, recognizing that like God's put me in positions of leadership and he's, his Holy Spirit has worked, but it's not on my accord. Because when it comes down to the front lines and actually working and meeting and loving people, I struggle to believe that the gospel is actually something that's real, that is worth sharing to people. And I think if you put yourself in a position, you might find the same thing. And, and maybe you're someone that like, well, I just, again, it's intellectual thing. I just want proof. Well, we actually have had proof. Let's, let's address that right now. In John 12, 36, if you want, you can flip in your Bibles. John 12, 36 Jesus in his lifetime was doing tons of miraculous things, right? And so for me, as I lead and as I, as I like get put in positions of leadership, I notice that I still have these lingering doubts that I'm talking about. Like, uh, I, if it would just this thing, and I've addressed that thing, but it doesn't ever seem to be all right. So here we go, John 12, verse 36, 37 Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. All right? So that the word was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The Lord who has believed has heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. I'm going to read that one more time for anyone that's like me, that's like, if there's just this one thing, then I'm in. I'll praise your name, I'll talk to you, I'll invest in people, whatever that thing is, it's probably a lingering doubt that has nothing to do with Proof, evidence, because look at this. 
Though he had done many signs before them, Jesus Christ healed people, and the religious people were like, nah, that's not real. That's a demon. That's not Jesus. No. That's, so, and Jesus even talks later in the New Testament. He says, I've done many signs and wonders. You ask me for a sign. The disciples says, give us a sign. He said, I've given you signs. I healed a dude with leprosy. I raised a dude from the dead. What do you want me to do? <laughs> like, there's very little else that I can do for you. And so it's clearly not evidential signs of Jesus. Like, if Jesus was just here right now, I can't, I can't see God. And, and when I talk to him, I don't always, like, hear his voice. And if Jesus was just here preaching right now, we'd all be better off, right? Like, instead of Andy Jorgensen, you had Jesus. We could admit that would be a good thing. Jesus disagrees because he didn't stay. And so they disbelieved him when he was on earth. And when he left, he said, I know this is going to be hard for you, but greater things are going to happen because I'm going to give you my spirit. And now every single one of you that calls yourself a Christian in the room has God's spirit. And frankly, that's a way better play for the church. That's way better for me to have God's spirit within me rather than someone that, frankly, people disbelieved even in his best. And he knew that. And so some of, you, some of you might be tempted to think, okay, this is good, Andy, but this, this passage doesn't really apply to me. Move on, move on, move on. I can't wait till lunch. And I just want to challenge you that, like, if you really believe, it's going to show itself in all of your lifestyle activities. And so you might be tempted to think, I, I believe this. Like, the person next to me has really got to listen to this right now. Or, man, I wish my dad was here, or my mom, or, like, Whoever that is for you. I wish so-and-so was here because I don't think they believe. And I just want to do a quick gut check because, really? You believe? What's it look like every day for you then? Scripture and prayer. Do you actually believe that this is the word of God? What I'm holding right now is what God Almighty in heaven, in eternity, has actually given us to learn about his name. Because if it's true, you're going to read it. If God wrote a book and is all-powerful and made us in his thoughts, you're going to read his word every day. Like Jane Austen, nothing, ladies. You're going to read God's word because you're going to be into it. Like, oh my gosh, like, what does he have to say with me? And you're going to wrestle with that. And if you truly believe that there's a God up there that listens to you, he I get to pray and he listens to me? You're going to talk to him. You're going to be like Asaph. You're going to go to him with your thoughts. These are, these are things that are just going to happen if you are truly in your gut believing. And you might say, okay, I do that. My routine is awesome. I'm doing great. I got the Bible reading plan. I pray every night, dinner time, all of that stuff. I'm actually doing all right. Nice try, Andy. You're doing, you're doing a good job, but I'm actually doing just fine. Again, Jesus saw right through that argument in Matthew 7.21. If you want, you can flip with me to Matthew 7.21. I'll just read it if not. I'll give you a several moments to flip there if you'd like to. And I'm parched. <clears throat> so Matthew 7.21, he's talking He's talking to his disciples. Just insert 
He's talking to the churches. He's talking to the religious people. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you hear what Jesus just said? They're, they're prophesying and casting out demons, and he's like, flag, you don't actually believe. All the good works, like reading your Bible in the morning and praying before dinner, nothing. He's, these people are casting out demons, and they're like, look at this, God, I'm doing great. And he says, depart from me, you don't get it. You still don't, you still don't get it. You're still trying to earn grace. You don't understand that it is not the works that save you. It is your core belief that what he says is true. He took their argument, he took their habits, and he poked holes in it. And these are not small habits. These are, these are prophesying. Like In our church, we've not ever had to do anything this wild and crazy. But if that ever comes up, I would think whoever had the power to do that they're the ones that should be up here right now, right? Like, that's really something. Jesus says, it is not through your acts. It is through who I am. It is through that belief in who I am. So to myself, like, God, I lead Bible studies. Maybe this is for you, leaders in the room. I lead a gospel community, or I was a college ministry leader, or I've led Bible studies. I speak hard truths to people. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't swear. Yeah, that's, that's fine, but... Jesus says, who am I? Do everything you everything, eat, drink, to the glory of God. Just know who I am. So at the end of the day, it is not his activity. It's not the psalmist's activity, but his belief that goes to where he is saved. It is not our behavior that fuels belief. Right? You're not going to read the Bible, although God will use that. It is not behavior that fuels belief. It is belief, genuine belief that fuels your behavior. Everything else flows straight from that. And so you say, okay, it's all belief. Thank you. We're just talking about how I disbelieve. What do you got? Where do I go? I don't understand. And the spiral happens again in Psalms. But did you see? Where does he run? Where does the psalmist run? Back to 77. Back to verse 10, does he run to the bottle? In his anguish and his pain, does he run to a lover? Does he run to a party? Does he run to his family? Does he run, where does he run? Does he run to the books of intellect? Where does he go? No, he doesn't run any of those places. Verse 10 through 15, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Did you get that? He didn't get out of the pit of doubt by working harder, reading harder, 
or doing more. He got pulled out of the pit by reflecting on what was finished in God. God's finished work is what pulled him out of the anxiety and the depression. He says, then I said, then I said, I will appeal to this. He made a conscious decision to stop hoping in his circumstances. He gave up. The natural progression was things suck, things suck, things suck, things suck. Okay, got to fix it, got to fix it, got to fix it, can't fix it. God, you fix my circumstances, fix my circumstances. Why aren't you fixing them like you fixed those guys? And then he finally gets it and he makes a decision that it is not in his circumstances that he is saved. He made a decision to believe in the works of God that are finished. And at the end, it is not his emotions that defined his faithfulness. It was the destination of those emotions and the reflection on finished work. He ends up going to the source of hope and joy. He's done messing around. He goes straight to the source of the finished work. In the midst of his suffering, he doesn't engage in self-help. Okay, He doesn't minimize his problems. For all you intellectual people out there like myself, emotionally unhealthy people, we'll just stuff the emotions down deep where no one is ever going to see them except every single day they're going to plague you. He doesn't stuff his emotions. He doesn't ignore the suffering. So when it's tough, he doesn't say, it's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. Like, God, God's great. This isn't terrible. No, he says, this is terrible. And you can be honest with him. You can be honest about where you're at. His suffering is real. Sin causes suffering. This world has suffering. And you could be honest with him about it. You could be honest with each other about it. The, see, the, the, the method we see in this psalm here is one of honesty and transparency. And ultimately, going to God with that, going out with his heart, whatever that looks like, whatever that was, that is the thing that leads him to ultimate joy. In the midst of his suffering, he saw restored joy and peace, not in the fixing, but in God's finished work. And so some of you really, really, really need to hear this right now. Some of you have made some decisions, your own decisions, have put you in a position where you feel as if you are without hope. You've made really, really bad decisions, and in those decisions, in the consequences of those decisions, you say, all is lost God does not love me anymore. And it's plaguing you, and it has plagued you, and it's something that keeps you up at night. And but you need to hear this. You need to hear the good news that his salvation and your salvation is not based on the fact that you would have been a good person. It's that you were wrong from the start. And that your salvation actually comes in the finished work that he gave us. And he reflects here on the days of old in the Old Testament, we have the finished work of Christ. And so the myth that you're believing right now is that that act or this regular act, the things I do or the things I don't do are what define me and what keep God from loving me. The very opposite is true. The good news is that he chose to love you amidst those acts. And the truth is, some of us, all of us, all of us have made bad decisions that affect our emotions and, more importantly, our salvation before God. As we as a church read through the Bible, we understand who God is more clearly. And that God is actually one of wrath. 
He, he wants justice, and that's great for all of us. Because you don't want a God that is whimsical. You want a God that is just, that treats people the way they should be treated. That's a, the fairness is what things, like, that's where we're at in our culture. Like, we want things to be just. He has the ultimate just, just feeling by seeing us in our sin. But here's the thing, he hasn't left us in that sin. And so to believe that I'm just not that bad, I, I've not made horrible decisions, is a myth that I think you're believing to think that you're actually still all right and that God doesn't really need to intervene. But the simple fact of the matter is God intervenes in all of us primarily as we see through the Bible through feelings of hopelessness. And Jonathan has spoke to us in the past few weeks and he's going to speak to us a ton through Judges. And y'all haven't read Judges, like the whole book yet? Just go ahead and read the whole thing. It's crazy. It's, it's wild. Like, it's about to get graphic. Everybody's read Judges, you know exactly what I mean. It's like, and JL lured the man into the tent and then drove a stake through his head. And it's like, what? Oh my goodness. And a lot of this is going to deter you. And maybe you don't want to bring your friends into the church because we're going through a really harsh book. I don't know what to do with that. I don't want them to hear that. Hear rightly and hear the myth in our own hearts that as we stuff things down, we like to believe that sin doesn't really exist. And we like to believe that we're not really, really all that bad. Or maybe some of you are like, no, I really am that bad. Either of those positions, we come to a hope that it does not have anything to do with how good or bad you are. All right? Your actions do not define who and what you've been saved by. It is this belief. And so I have to say to you, church, stop trying to earn your salvation. Please stop. To those of you on this side who might feel yourself a bit more churched, a bit more savvy with the Spirit and the Word, um, who maybe are not able to confess things to one another, please hear this out. Things are hard, and there's likely something going on in your own heart that you can bring to the Lord, and you can know. And so for, for other people, if you've done something, maybe, maybe like society or the world would consider very, very graphic, like very, very bad, understand that you're right. God looks upon that act and he despises it, okay? Just like the person over here, he looks on our acts and he despises them. The Bible and Jesus talk about our acts as filthy rags. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful with this, but when the, when the Bible talks about filthy rags in that time, it was through cleaning up menstrual overall. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> single, guy got, single guy went for it. Understand won't do that one. <clears throat> Understand, if I could paint a picture, maybe imperfectly, very imperfectly, our works, your good deeds, your bad deeds, the one that you feel is heavy and the ones that you maybe feel are pretty good, are as filthy rags. They're like nasty cloths. They're, it, 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 it's an emotion of grotesqueness. And as I say that to you, I don't want to leave you there. Because if we understand this correctly, if we understand that our salvation is not on fixing those circumstances, but fixing our eyes on the finished work of God and Christ, then every single one of us has a good hope. Every single one of us can look to his word and see evidences of his glory. Not only in times of old, like this, 
The psalmist of Asaph says, he says, your way is holy. You work wonders. And you might say, like, okay, again, like <clears throat> Joshua and David, but what about now? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He was a human being. He was a person. Came down and understood what it was like to be you. He understood what the weight that you are experiencing is. And instead of waiting for you to get your act together, he actually just said, fine, I'm going to do this myself. And he came down and he took that on. So now we get to look to that church as our hope. We get to open up because we know, and I know in my heart, I'm covered in Jesus. And to the extent that I can actually believe that, no, really, actually believe this word. Actually, like, it is God's word, and there's an eternity, and it's going to happen. And if I really believe that, and if you really believe that, this looks really awesome. Y'all are going to want to come back week after week after week if we all truly believe that finished work, not what we've done right or wrong, is actually what we're clinging to as a community of people. And you're going to have a wonderful community. You're going to see God do wonderful things. But if we don't, if we do not, if we cling to things, if we cling to our own emotions, our depravity, our, our depression, anxiety, this looks like what you might have experienced a church look like. You may have been hurt by a church. You may walk into a church, and you may recognize that, hey, that's, that's kind of fake. And we're getting really good at this as a culture of pointing out what's fake. And you might look and say, you say that I can't do this, and you say that you should do that, but you don't even do that. And Jesus despised those people. It's called Pharisees. And so let's look like the church that, again, is not coming forward specifically on a Sunday with everything all together when it's really not. Okay, you could come in happy. If you, praise God, it gives us joy and hope and, and happiness, and, and those things come from him. But if that's not true for you, and when it doesn't, that's hard. It's hard when the answer of your belief is no. But did you see what Asaph does? God, where are you? Are you, are you going to hate me forever, God? And he's straight with him. He goes straight to the point. But thank God, through digging of his word, we see proof of the opposite. Despite me doubting, despite me not submitting my life, Despite my lack of all these, he's proven himself to be real. Not because I chose to do something, but because his love and power. Again, the object of the faith is the most important thing. His love and power is real, and no matter how much I struggle and doubt, it doesn't affect his reality. You understand that? If he's real, it doesn't matter what your doubt says about him, he's still real. And so, guys, it doesn't matter what your doubt or your despair or your emotions tell you about who God is. He's real either way. And in Jesus, he loves you either way. That's what's true of him, and that's what we can believe in. Because of that, our confidence in God is not based on knowledge, activity, even our emotional stability, but on his great love and power demonstrated to us in Christ. And now we can respond in faith. We can respond and what he displays is worship. Did you get, read the rest of this for me. Let's go through the whole chapter. Verse 16. We're going to read this through the end. So he's seen the works of God. He's gone to God. And what was the response? 
When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured over water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Did you understand what happens when he was released from his emotions and his despair? When he went to the Lord, this is what we can expect. In about 10 minutes, it leads us to worship. Right? Going to God, the natural response, he couldn't even help himself. I just pictured him with a quill. He's just sitting there worshiping and writing the next Psalms that his church was going to bring to the Lord. And so as the worship team comes up, please, whatever it is inside of you that may be holding back, forget the people around you, give it to God, and the worship experience will come from a confidence that comes from him. The worship will be better than you've ever experienced because it's not worshiping what emotions you feel or don't feel. It's worshiping who he is despite of all that. Remembering God's finished work leads us to praise him in a way that is genuine and that leads us to joy and true happiness. So if you will please join me in this as we walk together as a church, as we worship together as a church, Keep in mind what's really going on and keep in mind where you truly can go with that and join us in worship. God, I ask right now that you would free us from any of these hindrances or these thoughts or these doubts. Lord, if we would have them, that you would expose them for what they are, that you would use community to to expose what's really going on with us, that this would be a group that is not marked by people that have got it all together, but people who are radically on board with what you've done for us in Jesus, that we can be honest with one another. Would you use the people in this room, even if someone in this room has not invited them yet, would you use your spirit in the hundreds of people that are in this room to transform Sioux Falls, not by people who look better than everybody else, but people who truly, in their gut, believe that you are good, that you are holy, and that you are worth worshiping. And may that lead us now to worship and praise you. Praise you for what you've done in Jesus and praise you for all the good deeds you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.